Greetings and welcome to the Recombobulation Area. My name is Dan Schaefer. Thank you for joining us. We are just days away from the spring election in Wisconsin. And while the race for Wisconsin Supreme Court will be on the ballot statewide, there are a whole lot of other races happening at communities all over the state. One of those is the special election in the 8th Senate District. This district includes parts of Ozaki, Waukesha, Washington, and Milwaukee counties. This is a very important race because it will determine whether or not Republicans will gain a two-thirds supermajority in the state Senate. Longtime Republican state senator Alberta Darling retired late last year, creating an open seat. And while this district has been in GOP control for a long time, this is a part of the region here in southeastern Wisconsin that has seen its political leanings shift significantly in recent years. The Democratic candidate running to flip this district is Jody habish Sinekin, and she joins us today. Jody, welcome to the Recombobulation Area. Thank you, Dan. So before we get into some of the issues in this race, I, will, I want to learn a little bit about your background and your career and why you decided to run for state Senate. So can you tell us about that? Give us a little bit of a breakdown. Uh, you bet. I was born and raised in the Senate district, and I uh, graduated Nicolay High School. I went on to University of Michigan and then straight to Harvard Law School, where I graduated in 1992 after a federal clerkship in Chicago and work at a litigation firm. I moved back with my husband, Dan, who's also from Whitefish Bay um, in the Senate district. And we, I started working for Habish Habish and Rotier um, for nearly 10 years. At which point I, during that time period, Dan and I um, celebrated the birth of four children, uh, three boys and a girl, Sam, Zachary, Eliana, and Justin. And I, in 2003, I pivoted my interest in my work into environmental law. I began doing much writing, law review articles, policy papers for Midwest environmental advocates. And in the course of my work as a water policy expert, I was appointed to a number of governmental, stakeholder, and legislative study groups, primarily focused on water quality and water quantity, groundwater issues, and led a coalition of folks from around the state to help implement the Great Lakes Compact, which was a multi-year, multi-state, bi-national effort to protect our incredible Great Lakes resources. And in the course of that, really was instrumental in framing legislation to protect the resource and to govern what diversions are allowable and under what conditions. And in that work, I also, of course, branched out into water conservation and so much other writing and policy work. Importantly, during the course of all my work in the past 20 plus years, I've always been working with a diverse coalition and stakeholder groups from all over, always representing, as you can imagine, a diversity of viewpoints and have worked closely with legislators from both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats. The only way for things to get done in Wisconsin at the legislative level is to work in a bipartisan fashion. So I do have the skills and the experience, which I felt were important as I considered running for this Senate seat, 
But what really put a fire under me was understanding how high the stakes are for this election. As you suggested in your introduction, the stakes are incredibly high for Wisconsin's future. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's such a important race and an important seat. Um, and I think an important, uh, important district here, uh, you know, considering it kind of as a bellwether uh, for what's happening in the state. Uh, you know, a whole lot of uh, shift in political leanings have been happening uh, around the Milwaukee area. Uh, I, I want to circle back to one thing about that you mentioned, you know, kind of t- talking about your background with Midwest environmental advocates. Um, I understand one of the uh, uh, one of the projects that you worked on there uh, was challenging a water diversion plan for Foxconn. Can you tell us about some of the work that you did on that project? Yes, thank you. It's very important for any law, but in particular for this law, the Great Lakes Compact, laws are only as strong as they are enforced. You could have the greatest law in the world, but if there's not an enforcement to meet the principles underlying the objectives, the important concerns that led to the law's enactment in the first place, then it undermines the effectiveness. When it came to the Foxconn diversion request, the concerns very much by a host of organizations around not just Wisconsin, but the region, were that the proposed diversion did not meet the spirit and intent of the compact's exception to the diversion prohibition. Yeah, it's a really uh, it's a really interesting case, and I think it speaks to you know some of the some of the work that you've done in the background and what uh, you know what that could um, bring to the state senate because I think you know there's going to be a lot of issues surrounding water uh, that the Wisconsin state legislature is going to rule on. You know, we've there's been a lot of news in the last few years about you know forever chemicals, PFAS, things like that. Um, how do you think your work on on that on those issues could make a difference in the state Senate. I think it's really important. I'm, I'm grateful for my experience and all that I've learned as with your work, what is key is getting the best possible information and best minds around the table to dig into the concerns, not just the public health, but environmental concerns that are all very much interrelated when you are talking about water resources and natural resources in general. So Yes, I have the relationships with the best UW scientists and others who really can share their information so we can protect our public and move forward with what we need to do for our state's best interests. But there is that balance. What this legislature has done, and I expect you are well aware of this, is by putting their head under the sand and denying that there's even a problem and public health risks big ones, by preventing research to be conducted, actions that could remediate the problems. There has been several years of foot dragging, and that has just cost people in terms of their health. It's been expensive, and it's just been misguided. So it is that type of approach that I would push back on as a state legislator. Very good. So you have so this is a little bit of an unconventional race that's happening right now, right? It is it's a special election. Uh it's happening in the spring. 
Uh, it's happening with this big Wisconsin Supreme Court race also on the ballot. Uh, and so you've been campaigning around the district for a few months now. What are you what are you hearing from voters? I am really enjoying the door knocking. In fact, I'm getting ready to go out today before it pours like heck tomorrow. Um, so I can tell you that I am hearing from a lot of people at the doors. Very few people don't want to share their ideas, which is very interesting. One of the main common themes I'm hearing is folks all over the district are sick and tired of these divisive politics, which has had, have held sway for years in Madison. This polarization of views and values is not allowing legislators to move forward, make progress on the issues that are of concern to Wisconsin citizens. I personally have felt it too for some time. It is really folks like my opponent, Dan Canodal, who are sticking in that very divisive lane that's stopping the progress. For example, he, as you're well aware, focused quite a bit of his efforts on trying to challenge the 2020 election and to use his legislative initiatives to suppress the vote in Wisconsin and challenge our electoral process. That effort and what I expect you will get into, the first thing he has announced that he is interested in doing if he wins this Senate race is initiate impeachment proceedings against a whole cast of folks, an enemies list, primarily it seems in Milwaukee County, but also beyond to the state level, maybe Governor Evers, Attorney General Josh Cowell, Dane County judges, the list is long. But it's that type of divisiveness that people are just turned off of because they understand it for the distraction it is because it means our legislators are not doing work for Wisconsin. They're not moving us forward. Yeah, it makes me think of some some recent state legislative races that I've covered that also kind of rejected a lot of this divisiveness. So I, I you know, when I was covering some of the races happening in 2020, uh, Deb Andrika, who's uh, the state assembly representative uh, that would be uh, part of the state Senate district, uh, you know, she talked about how this divisiveness was a problem. Robin Vining uh, in Wauwatosa talked about how this divisiveness was a problem. I, you know, I, I do wonder if this is becoming kind of a trend largely in the Milwaukee metro area where, you know, people in the suburbs that have been gravitating more towards Democrats uh, in recent election cycles are, are kind of fed up with this with this divisiveness from uh, the Wisconsin Republicans in the state legislature. Dan, that is exactly what I'm hearing. And it's only coupled for me personally by these personal attack ads by the Republicans that are baseless. There's no factual content to it. I'm just going to say it, they're lies. So what it does is it turns off people, but it also discourages good people from running because that appears to be the Republican M.O. I mean, I have them here in my kitchen, those crummy ads, and I can tell you there's not one iota of truth to them. So that kind of nonsense, I think people are seeing through it. Yeah, I think, you know, so often we've seen Republicans drag these races into the gutter and not want to have a conversation about the issues. And I think we've seen that in the Wisconsin state legislature, too, in the state Senate, where, you know, so many important issues go unaddressed 
uh, while, you know, they follow the culture war or whatever nonsense. Uh, and we, we have some real problems in Wisconsin that, that needs addressing. Um, so let's, so let's focus on some of those. Uh, if, if you were to be elected, uh, in this race, what, what would be some of your priorities that you would want to get to work on in the state Senate? Absolutely. And this is where the conversation should go, as you say, in a productive fashion, where I would most want to direct my energies and my priorities as a legislator would be in three particular, three, four areas, but they're all very interrelated. One, first and foremost, is working to restore women's health care protections by enacting a new law to restore Roe and taking down that 1849 criminal abortion ban. That law is just absolutely unacceptable for a whole host of reasons, not just that it's 174 years old and passed at a time in history where slavery was legal, women didn't have the right to vote, and doctors certainly did not have the medical knowledge that we have today. We deserve better in Wisconsin and women deserve better. But importantly, what that law is doing already is depriving women of the opportunity to receive essential health care. We are hearing reports, and I bet you have reported on it, of women who need to be taken to the borders to receive care for dangerous miscarriages, to receive DNCs after those um, events to prevent death, I mean, deadly sepsis. There are women who are experiencing problem pregnancies that because of the gray area imposed by this 1849 law, doctors can't treat them. They have to pick up their families and move to Chicago just to get medical care. This is not okay for Wisconsin. And those are the immediate effects. I have been speaking with doctors all over the state and especially in parts of the state where there was already experiencing a doctor shortage, I can tell you that emergency room doctors, OBGYN doctors, and others who are having to give treatment to women are not gonna continue practicing medicine here in Wisconsin. It's not safe for them to do so because in order for them to provide this very much interrelated care that women's bodies demand, they are at risk of criminal prosecution jail, and losing their licenses. It's just too high of stakes. So you understand why it is so important to remove that antiquated law and move forward as Wisconsin women are so deserving of to be at an equal status to our neighboring states women in Minnesota, Michigan, and Illinois. The second class status is not okay for our health and it's not okay for our state, which is you'll hear from my other priorities, depends, our future depends on being able to attract workers and young families and doctors and businesses to our state. And who the heck is gonna want to do any of those things when half our population does not have the healthcare that we need? So my second priority, as you already can infer, is very much focused on that very issue of attracting workers and vitality to our economy in Wisconsin. To do so, there's a number of interrelated initiatives I would want to lead. One most certainly is lowering taxes 
across all brackets for Wisconsin to make us more competitive with our neighboring states and again, to be a place that young families and workers want to move to or remain in. Wisconsin's taxes are just too high, comparatively speaking, and we need to use this opportunity where we have this historic $7 billion surplus to ease our way to a transition to a lower tax rate for all Wisconsin, particularly where it's needed most for working families. Related to that is another legislative initiative, which is making sure that our local communities, our law enforcement at the local level is receiving the funds and the resources they need to keep us safe. We're not just talking about Milwaukee, which has been starred for as long as it has, but the communities in Senate District 8. And believe me, I've talked to police chiefs here. I've talked to leaders of local communities. They have been operating for the last 15 years with no increase in money. It's 0.04% increase in 15 years. And you are well aware of the inflation rate and what that has put these communities in. We are talking to folks where the emergency paramedic service has no funds available in Ozaki County. They're using ARPA dollars, federal dollars. We have police departments where they have not been able to hire any additional staff or pursue any initiatives with regard to training to address the spread of crime entering our communities. They are stuck between a rock and a hard place. So that importance of investing in our local communities, not just to keep us safe, but for our future, because guess who else has been underfunded? Our schools, and they are feeling it. So in my conversations, again, with local super school superintendents, the same story. They need the resources to provide the constitutionally guaranteed education that our students are entitled to under Wisconsin law. And those type of endeavors is exactly where I'd wanna be as a state senator. I think those are a lot of really important priorities. You know, certainly looking ahead to this budget debate that we're that I guess is happening after the spring election uh, because the Republicans state legislature haven't really been doing much on the budget uh, these last couple months since Governor Evers have introduced it. I think you touched on a couple of the big issues uh, that are going to come up. Um, one one being the tax issue. And you you talked about wanting to, to lower tax, taxes across all brackets in Wisconsin. Uh, your opponent has been among the Republicans advocating for a flat tax. How would what you'd advocate for be different than that? Yeah, thanks for asking that question, Dan, because it's very important. I have studied it and understand from other states who have tried. The flat tax that is being proposed for Wisconsin is even lower than other states have attempted. And it comes with a significant risk, again, which has been played out in other states, where in a very short time, very short, in a matter of a few years, a surplus at the state level turns right into a deficit. And what that does is, again, puts vital services essential to public safety, roads, and most specifically, local communities' ability to keep their communities safe at the local law enforcement level in jeopardy. 
So that flat tax also for Wisconsin would deliver the majority of the benefit to a very small percentage of the ultra wealthy in Wisconsin, whereas the majority of folks would receive very little benefit from that flat tax. So it makes a far more sense to direct that tax cut benefit to where the most people can receive the benefit while also protecting our state's future and ability to provide vital services. And then on the shared revenue issue, you, may, you mentioned how that you know, has been flat for so long. Uh, I, th- I think so much of this conversation about shared revenue, about sales tax, about local government funding uh, ha- has really focused on Milwaukee uh, over the past couple of years, because I think, you know, the, the numbers are a little bit magnified being the biggest city in the state. And and there are, uh, you know, distinct challenges that the, the city and county are facing. But as you mentioned, this is an issue that impacts communities all over the region and all throughout the district and not just uh, not just Milwaukee. It's it's a the shared revenue issue is is one that impacts all communities. So what would you like to see change in that respect, do you support, support Governor Evers' plan for shared revenue? Is there another option out there that you're interested in? How, how would you like to see that take shape? Yeah, thank you. I also want to first start out saying that what's been very frustrating to me for years, and particularly with this discussion of shared revenue and how the Republicans have consistently attacked Milwaukee and blaming it for the problems that they in effect by their policies and how they've conducted the shared revenue and applied it to the state's biggest city has been the cause or certainly a strong contributing factor to Milwaukee's difficulties and certainly the spread of crime. So as someone who was born and raised in the Milwaukee area, who cares deeply about its future and its success, I am sick and tired of hearing Milwaukee used as a punching bag consistently as of last night during the debate by my opponent and consistently by the Republican Party. We need to do as a state what we can to uplift Milwaukee, provide it with the resources it needs because it is a city with a diversity of problems that require investments to be able to provide its citizens and the surrounding communities the quality of life that is important to allow us to progress economically as a state as well as a region. So I just want to put that out there because I constantly hear that, certainly not from you at all, but just, again, it's just a trope. I hear again and again from Republicans blaming Milwaukee when it's really their policies that have compromised Milwaukee's ability to persevere and bring themselves out of that difficulty. Having said that, I do support Governor Evers' approach for shared revenue. I think it's intelligent, I think it's fair, and I think it's future forward. Yeah, I think you make such a good point about the way Republicans approach Milwaukee and and the way that they blame the city for, for problems that they're not allowing Milwaukee to have the resources to solve, right? It's it, Milwaukee does not have, for, for a major U.S. city, Milwaukee does not have a great level of local control. 
most other U.S. cities would have an option to raise its sales tax or, or you know, make different decisions about its revenue sources. Uh, the state legislature in Wisconsin has not allowed Milwaukee to do that. Uh, one of the issues that has come up, and and since you are, since you would be representing a, a piece of Milwaukee County uh, in this district, uh, has been a potential sales tax increase. The county executive David Crowley uh, has been pushing that, as have a number of uh, number of leaders throughout the Milwaukee area. Is that something you would also support? Having Milwaukee get the option uh, to raise its sales tax? Yes, I think any opportunity for Milwaukee to have more autonomy, more ability to have self-governance over its future and its citizens is valuable. It's one thing if the Republicans were using their control over Milwaukee for the benefit of Milwaukee and its surrounding communities, but they're not. And in that reality, we need Milwaukee to have the ability to create funding opportunities to provide the vital services, especially when it comes to law enforcement, to keep people safe. And again, the hypocrisy of blaming the victim when the policies themselves are what caused that situation. Or again, there's a lot of complexity to what is underlying many of Milwaukee's problems, like any major city. But it certainly doesn't help to have a lack of control, autonomy, and funding for the services that are needed to bring us out of the difficulties. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to touch on another issue uh, while we have the time here, uh, which is voting rights and elections and uh, the validity of elections in Wisconsin too. So your opponent was one of 15 state legislators who signed on to a letter to Mike Pence asking him to delay the election. Now in the primary, uh, in this race, uh, Dan Canodal was kind of billed as the moderate because comparatively, uh, to Janelle Branchin, he was maybe not quite as extreme on election issues as she was, but he's still certainly no moderate. Uh, and given that he signed that letter, I think that really calls into question, um, you know, a lot of his values on on elections. And, and, you know, we saw so many Republicans in the wake of 2020 spend so much time saying that uh, saying that are, you know, are saying that our votes don't count, saying that these are not a valid election. Um so, so what are your, you know, as you've been going through this campaign, talking to voters, is that something that voters in this district are concerned with? Is that something you in particular are concerned with? Um, what is your, uh, what are your views on, uh, on that issue and your opponent's approach to it? I think it's represent, reprehensible for a state assembly person, which is when what the position Dan Canota was in when he signed that letter to Mike Pence. And I certainly encourage your listeners to do a quick Google of that particular January 5th letter because it is threatening. It is making sure that Mike Pence decertifies the 2020 election results. That is what it is, the purpose of it. And then the million dollar plus investment of the Republican Party in Wisconsin to do a witch hunt of our electoral process, finding nothing, repeatedly 
finding no irregularities, nothing that suggested any basis for that challenge to the certification of our state's election results. Again, it's a cause of frustration, but it brings it really this election to a national stage, Dan, because the 2024 presidential elections, literally just a year plus away. So those type of shenanigans and a lack of commitment to fair elections is really worrisome, not just at the Wisconsin level, but at the national level. And people have to understand, and I truly hope your listeners can appreciate that this Senate seat is so essential because we need this seat to flip blue. Why? Because if we don't, what happens the very next day is a supermajority in the Wisconsin State Senate, which again leads to these impeachment type threats becoming reality. But we are also at the greater legislative level, only two seats away from an entire legislative supermajority. And what that just means is Governor Evers will be deprived of the ability to veto the most harmful extreme bills. And Wisconsin Public Radio provides a great list of the 126 vetoes that Governor Evers was forced to do. And they break them down into categories. And a big category is the extremist bills that were put forward by my opponent and his Republican colleagues that really try to suppress fair elections in Wisconsin. So again, that veto power is so important, not just for elections, but for Wisconsin's democracy, the balance of powers that is essential to our system of government working is at very serious risk if I am not successful in this Senate race, which is why we're trying to get the word out and get people voting. Spring elections um, are historically not the same turnout as national elections, fall elections, et cetera. But this one, we need people to vote and talk to their friends, neighbors, colleagues, the like. Every vote is going to make a difference because we need it for our democracy. Yeah, that supermajority issue, it's its one that I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of interested to see how when you talk to voters on doors or, or wherever, how people respond to that, because it is kind of a confusing thing, right? Like it's because if it was a full two thirds supermajority in the assembly, and the Senate, then it's a veto override. And I think, you know, that is that is something that is a little bit more direct. But because of the way that Republican leadership has approached this state Senate, potential state Senate supermajority, it's a little bit difficult to understand. And it's a a little bit strange because it is such an extreme step that Republicans are considering with these impeachment things. I know Robin Voss last fall following the election when, and this was at the point before Alberta Darling had resigned, said, you know, this opens up some new powers for us. When Robin Voss is talking about new powers, I think people should get very worried uh, because uh, he's likely to employ them. Uh, I I tend to expect the worst when it comes to Robin Voss. Um, and, And so I think, you know, it's just speaks to how important this race is uh, to prevent that new power uh, from becoming a reality for state leadership. And, you know, your opponent has been more or less a a Robin Voss ally 
uh, in the in the state legislature for a long time. You know, he served, uh, you know, for for many years in the in the assembly, and you know, I think he was even part of leadership with Robin Voss at, at some point uh, over that time as well. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, is a really important piece of that. What, how do people respond to that when you talk about that supermajority issue? I really talk about it, not necessarily using that term. Supermajority is, um, I think it's kind of a wonky term that people are like, what? I really say it that as things stand, if we don't flip this seat blue, if we are not successful in this Senate race, what that will mean is that there are only two assembly votes out there that will prevent a complete takeover of our government by the GOP at the legislative level, of course. And two is a very slim margin, Dan. That means if one person's sick, an assembly member is out of town, they can do an impromptu override, veto override motion, and there you have it. So it's so slim. I think that this is very much resonating with the Republicans who have decided to vote for me. I've been very much speaking to not just uh, folks in the Democratic Party, but folks who are very concerned in the Republican Party about women's health care, about democracy issues like this, about taxes and how Wisconsin is falling backwards. You know, we are the demographics, the economy. We are just not where we used to be vis-a-vis our neighboring states in terms of attracting people to our state, particularly workers. So they get it. But I do talk about it in terms of the disruption of the balance of powers. Even folks who are not Democrats do appreciate having a balance in our state government. And I do realize that by speaking along those lines, that seems to have a greater impact. Interesting stuff. So uh, we're, we're going to wrap things up here in just a minute. But any any final thoughts uh, anything else that you'd like to share with our reader or uh, with our listeners uh, uh, before we uh, before we let you go here? I just want to uh, thank them for tuning in, and again, thank them in advance for if they are in my Senate district, please vote. It is so important. Nobody likes to look out a few months out and be like, "Shoot, I could have done something, but I didn't." That regret. Gosh, we've all been there in other elections. Let's not make it this election. And if you don't live in Senate District 8, think of folks that you know who do live in these communities. Uh, I'm happy to list them for folks. It's Whitefish Bay, Fox Point, Bayside, Brown Deer, River Hills, Mequon, Grafton, Sussex, Richfield, Germantown, and Menominee Falls. If I left out any, I, oh, Thanesville. If I left out any in addition to that, I apologize. But that's a lot of communities that people might know people in and just have them impress upon people how important it is that they make a difference in this election. But I really enjoyed talking to you and I, I enjoy your show. And I think it's perfectly named. I think Thank about so it a lot. That's just awesome. But thanks again for the invitation to speak with you today and your listeners. Well, thank you so much for joining us and being so gener- generous with your time. Uh, Jody Habish Sinekin is running for state Senate in the 8th District. It's all going to come down to turnout. A couple days left to vote. Vote early if you can. 
Jody, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan.